Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And this is Antiques Freaks. The most recent winner of RuPaul's Drag Race Season 60. That's a lie. (laughs) But we are a podcast about antiques. This week, in response to general listener outcry, I am finally indulging myself and doing an episode on Victorian toast. It's not even just listener outcry, it's also co-host outcry. (laughs) The people demand toast. I love Victorian toast, what can I say? What is toast? (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. I didn't expect what is toast to be the question that, like, really challenged me, but, like, now that I'm thinking of it, like, how do you define toast? Sliced bread, lightly crisped by radiant heat. Oh, (laughs) that would be the correct answer, you're right. Typically associated with breakfast. (laughs) You said that so sinister. How is it sinister? Typically associated... With breakfast. I just made you sound like chills for some reason. I think it was because I was restraining myself from making an anime girl late to school reference. Oh yeah. Why didn't you make that reference? That's listener engagement. We don't have time because we're already on to a brief history of breakfast. Yay! Now people, a lot of people don't know this about me. For all that I never eat it at the right time, breakfast is legitimately like one of my favorite meal categories. Agreed. And also breakfast is best enjoyed at 2am. Then he's got it. That is what you're going to get from a fellow breakfast enjoyer. Ideally, when you are in full goth regalia and all of your muscles are trying to exit your body at once because you went a little too hard at the club. There it is. There it is. You get it. You have to look a mess and be a vampire and go to the Denny's in Fall River. Yep. Smeared makeup, chipped nail polish, run in your tights if you're wearing any, and absolutely face planting into a Grand Slam. But in the medieval and renaissance period in England, breakfast didn't exist. Why not? Because the church. Oh god. To start one's day with food is gluttonous. So we don't do that here. <laughs> yeah, you had a perfectly good fast going. Why ruin it now? Why break it with break fast? The day in elementary school when I figured out that was a fucking compound word blew my entire brain apart. If you'd gone to Sunday school, that realization would have hit you way faster, because they would have explained it to you. I went to Sunday school, but it was at a Unitarian Universalist church, so we were mostly focused on, like, making crayons and fun shapes. God, I wish I'd had that. Yeah, well, (laughs) over here in in Catholic, Catholic, (laughs) over here in Catholic Sunday school, we were pretty quickly introduced to the idea that not eating is one of the best things you can do for Christ. That seems antithetical to his whole deal, but we're not going to go into that today. No. (laughs) In the medieval and renaissance period in England, laborers are permitted to start their day with food to fuel their labor, but the leisure class, no, you have no reason to be eating. Stop eating. I almost agree with that. Something, something intermittent fasting? Or is it just that rich people don't deserve to eat? Yeah, yeah, that one. It's that last one. Like, if I could ban people over a certain income bracket from the Denny's, you know I'd do it in a heartbeat. I feel like us being there bans them, in a way. Oh <laughs> well, yeah, but that's that's not, like, enforceable. They see us there, these haggard vampires inhaling waffles, and they just turn around and leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but until Denny's is paying me to do that, it's not reliable deflection. In the medieval renaissance period in England... There are only two official meals in a day, dinner and supper. And what they call dinner is now what we would consider a late lunch. Okay. But then, in the Georgian period, late 1700s pre-regency, they invent breakfast, 
because dinner has gotten later and later and later. Because fashion. Because fashion? Because fashion. All the cool kids are eating dinner, like, at sunset. And so rich people are waking up in the morning and being like, fuck, I'm hungry, and I'm not going to be able to eat until the sun goes down, unless I invent breakfast. And thus they did. Georgian Breakfast offers coffee, chocolate, soft rolls, jams, orange marmalade, in addition to toast. God, I want that so bad, but tell me more about the toast. Humans have made toast since humans have made bread. Originally, it was a way to remove moisture from bread and preserve it so it would last longer without molding. Oh. And then we were like, wait, if we do different stuff to it, it tastes better sometimes. I want to be the guy who discovered that toasted bread tasted pretty fire. Uh... What a cool day that must have been. Specifically for the Georgians, they make toast because butter is cold in the morning in England, which means you cannot spread it on soft bread without destroying said soft bread. Is this just because they kept their butter in, like, storage cellars and England is cold? The storage cellars don't even come into it. England's just cold. Oh. They got that whole Northern Hemisphere thing going on. They got the North Sea blowing on them one way and the Atlantic Ocean blowing on them the other way. They're just getting it from all directions and it's all cold. Plus the sun never deigns to shine upon them. I would say probably the worst thing about that is the butter. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So instead, you plop a chunk of cold butter onto a slice of bread, you spear said slice of bread on a fork, and you hold the fork in front of the fire until the butter melts. Genius. Which, coincidentally, makes the bread crisp. Which, coincidentally, is how I ate most of my meals in college. Thus creating what we know as modern toast. So the toasting of the bread was never the point? It was just for storage and hot butter? Correct. My god. And then we were like, wait, this rules. Let's just do it this way on purpose all the time. Throughout the Georgian era in Regency on into the early Victorian era, so about 1830s through 1840s, breakfast continues evolving and growing more elaborate, particularly for the growing middle class. Victorian middle class breakfast includes some combination of bacon, sausage, eggs, fried, boiled, scrambled with ham or poached, porridge, herring, dried haddock, soles or sprats, grilled sheep's kidneys, fresh hot rolls, and toast. I was really hungry for that first half. And by toast, they mean a stack of ten or more slices wrapped up in a white linen napkin. And in your mouth while you're running to school. Yes. And for the middle class, breakfast becomes a ritual to distinguish them from the working class. Everything they do is that. More on the working class (laughs) breakfast later. (laughs) Specifically, breakfast is how the middle class housewife proves her adeptitude at household management. Because the middle class has servants. Not as many as the upper class are aristocrats, but you know, servants. Male servants like butler, footmen, valets, etc. are for the upper class and aristocrats, generally. They're the only people who can afford them. Many middle class households have only female servants, housekeeper, nurse, cook, maids. And the lowest middle class, which is most people, can only afford a single maid called the girl of all work. Also, Marvel's new superhero. (laughs) She is aptly named. Because she's a girl, a child between the ages of 12 and 20... And she does all the work. That's more miserable somehow than being on an upper-class staff. How does a girl of all work make breakfast? How? First, she gets up. Her first mistake. Before 5 a.m. in the summer, from 5.30 to 6 a.m. winter, because her employers don't want to overspend on light for her to see by. Yeah, that would would be so extravagant, you know? Vision for the help. (laughs) So as much as they might want her up earlier, it's more economical if they let her sleep in until less than an hour before sunrise. 
so she only has to burn one candle. Smart. In the kitchen, she will start washing last night's dishes. They're still dirty because last night she was in her good serving uniform and we don't want it getting stained with filthy dishwater. That's true. So the dishes have soaked overnight and she begins her day by scrubbing them. Then she has to rekindle the fire, which can take a while because have you ever started a coal fire? Yeah, actually, a couple of times. It's miserable, isn't it? It's a lot of fucking work. She doesn't have a gas range. She has coals. And she's lighting them with cinders. God. This will give her enough heat to eat literally a slice of bread and a cup of tea. Before, she waits for her mistress to unlock the pantry. Why is it locked? Because they don't trust her not to steal and resell their food. Well, if she were doing that, that would become immediately apparent. So you really don't need to, like, keep doing it. That's one, that's a, that's a one-and-done kind of sitch. But if the servant eats the same food as the family, she might start putting on airs and think she's above her place. Oh, well, that's a real concern, yeah. Eat the rich. Anyway. That could be her breakfast. When the mistress has unlocked the pantry and allowed the cook to access the food, she begins multitasking because she has to prep dough for the fresh breakfast rolls and scrub the front steps and wash the kitchen floor and begin evening meal prep because several things will need to marinate and set the table with fresh tablecloth, plates, cups, utensils, etc. And also cook the actual breakfast. I'm finding it very difficult to believe that the British marinate anything. It might not be in anything particularly flavorful, but it is happening. Yeah, what is it, water? You might also need to start boiling things if you're gonna, you know, put some mash in a cloth and boil it to death and call it pudding. That's English food for you. But for breakfast, she'll be cooking meat, the bacon, sausage, ham, etc., eggs, boiled, poached, fried, etc., baking the hot rolls, crafting the aforementioned sundries such as Herrick, Haddock, grilled sheep kidneys, and making toast, which is easily the most tedious process of all. And that's a surprise, what? How to make Victorian toast. First, you slice the bread, because sliced bread hasn't been invented yet. Oh yeah. The phrase, the best thing since sliced bread, it's not just a metaphor. It's an actual thing, because sliced bread changed everything for a lot of people. But before then, you gotta slice your own bread. So she does that. Then she takes a toasting fork, which is a big fork with a long handle. Or a toasting cage, which is not what it's officially called, but that's what I'm calling it because it's literally a wireframe or cage that you latch a slice of bread into. I have seen those. They are incredible. Jail for your bread. For bread crimes. <laughs> that's, that's what happens in Bizarro Les Mis. Or you get what I'm going to call toast racks, which are larger wrought iron type things where you slot a slice of toast on either side of it. And then there's like a little axle you can spin. <gasps> So you can rotate the bread so it's evenly toasted on either side. I need one immediately. We all do. But I would hesitate to say that a household that can only afford a girl of all work is going to spring for the efficient toasting instrument. Fair. Sad, but fair. So probably toast cage or toast fork. Which you will then hold in front of the fire until the bread is toast. But not too long or it will burn. The advantage of the toast cage over the toast fork is that with the toast cage, it's much harder to accidentally drop the bread into the fire. Yeah, that would be my choice, personally. And then you repeat this process for every single slice of toast. Oh, that is tedious. So, you're feeding a family, which is a husband, a wife, and several children. So you're making, I don't know, a dozen slices of toast? Individually? Oh god. And keeping an eye on said toast and not dropping it into the fire and waiting for it to be just done enough, but not too done, 
is going to take 100% of your concentration. Imagine if like you couldn't put a pot onto boil and just let it boil. You had to watch it while it was boiling. Otherwise it wouldn't work. (laughs) Which is the opposite of how boiling pots usually work. So it's impossible to multitask while she's making toast. And it's tedious beyond compare. And it's finicky as fuck. Yeah. Wow. Shit. I will say open flame toast is unparalleled. Had someone we went camping? 10 out of 10. From The Modern Housewife by Alex Sawyer, 1849. I never suffer any servant to prepare toast more than five minutes before we were seated, for, if standing any time, the dry toast becomes tough and the buttered very greasy and consequently unpalatable as well as indigestible. Toast of any kind that has been made half an hour is not worth eating. First of all, fuck you. I'll eat any toast that's set out any period of time, so write that down. Next, it's time to get the food we've cooked to the table. Good luck. Because all the food has to arrive at the table hot, and the kitchen is at least one floor and several cold hallways away from the breakfast room and or dining room. Remember what I said about England being cold? England's very cold. So why don't they just serve things as they're finished cooking? You know, like like multi-course meal style. Wouldn't that be easier to keep things hot? But it's breakfast. You have to have the full breakfast spread all out at once. No, because you can't eat all of that shit all at once. You gotta, like, take bites and swallow, ideally. But you must. Jeez. Now, the dishes can be kept hot with metal covers, but said metal covers will add several pounds to the burden of carrying all this stuff. So basically you have a 12 to 20 year old girl who's been up since dawn doing manual labor, carrying 40 to 50 pounds of food and dishes up flights of stairs and down halls to the table by herself. I would simply not do this job, I think. I would rather live in the gutter. Even if she succeeds in doing this, if the family is late coming down to breakfast, the food may get cold waiting, and she will be blamed for it. Just like the middle class. So, considering all of the above, the ability to wake up to a tall stack of fresh hot butter toast in the morning is an incredible privilege. And for a wife to be managing the household so well as to ensure this happens every single morning is a mark of her good housekeeping skills. The girl of all work, as a mere servant, gets no credit if this goes well, and all the blame if it goes poorly. Dag, yo. We have a dear friend of ours who very much enjoys Downton Abbey. I made the mistake of watching it when I was in the room. <laughs> and because I can't keep my mouth shut, by the time we were about halfway through the episode, he turned to me and goes, was it really that bad to be a servant at this time? And I told him, there's a reason people were fleeing in droves to work in factories instead. Because at the factory, you could punch out. Yeah, you got to leave. At the factory, you get to punch out and go home. And you got you got way less directed blame for things. You, you'd have to screw up pretty big for someone to come to you personally and be like, Hey, you fucked it all up. As opposed to a, a girl of all work who it seems like every time she passed someone by would be blamed for something that had gone topsy-turvy. It's customer service, but you have to live in the customer's house and you're on call almost 24-7. Yeah. Yeah, night- hell. Die. I die. It's hell. It's absolute hell. I also remember eating a lot of toast after that, too. Because they were constantly serving it on the TV show? Engaging with any historical drama. When we watched Bridgerton, I consumed, I think, probably half a loaf of bread with jam. I mean, of all the foods they show you on the TV, it's the easiest to get for us with our modern electric toasters. It feels so good, too, to flex on them like that. That said, if I had a convenient electrical (laughs) appliance that could instantly produce macarons, I would be doing that. That's the thing, yeah. Because those also come up. 
again. <laughs> I still haven't recovered from my marathon macaron. Macaronathon. Listen, it was beautiful and splendid and well worth the effort and very much appreciated. Those macarons were beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Do you want a fun toast fact? Oh, yeah, of course. I always want fun toast facts. How do you slice your toast? If it's a home-baked loaf that I've done myself, usually I get an oversized serrated knife. I usually don't slice my toast. I buy sliced bread like a normal person. Or I toast a pita. But once you have toasted it, how do you cut it? Oh. Horizontally or diagonally? <laughs> usually don't. I just cram, I cram that bad boy <laughs> in my mouth. You cram the whole slice into our mouth. Show it who's boss. I'll have a little dish and I'll put, I'll put the corner of one whole slice into my mouth. And I'll hum an anime opening to myself on the way back to my desk. (laughs) I don't slice my toast. When I do, it is diagonally. In the UK, toast is cut into three to five vertical strips. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Go to hell. Go to hell. (laughs) I knew. I knew this would enrage you. (laughs) If you do that in front of me, I will commit vehicular manslaughter. Like... You will go out to your car and, and drive, drive it through it your home. Into the- <laughs> yes. Oh my god. If you invite me in for breakfast in England and you give me that shit, <laughs> like you are going to meet your maker at the fender of my Honda. I, however, will gladly take of your vertical toast, although I will be very confused. It was the two or more that really got to me. Because if you said two, I would have just been like, I would have left it at like, you know, eat my dick. I love how even that is beyond the pale for you. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. But like, I won't kill your family. No, it's it's three to five. Five strips. That better be basically a pizza you baked for breakfast. Do you know why they do this terrible thing? Uh, because of all the inbreeding? <laughs> <laughs> no! No! <laughs> I've seen Prince Philip's genealogy. That was a circle. Our condolences to the family. Um, they do this because it's easier to dunk into soft-boiled eggs. I eat soft-boiled eggs, like, a lot, actually. I have never, at any point, just been eating with, like, a regular, like, catty corner toast and been like, this would be so much easier if it were a three to five strips. I've never had a problem. That's the thing. If you slice it diagonally, you can do the same thing. Yeah, you just keep turning it to hit the corners. It's yeah. fine. Never in my life have I been having the standard toast experience and thought like, God, this is inconvenient. Like, never. Not once. And hearing that that is why they do it only actually makes me angrier. While this method of cutting toast does date back to the Victorian era, the name Toast Soldiers didn't arise until the 20th century. Toast what now, please? Thank you. Toast Soldiers. Don't make fun of my spatch impediment. And what are they fighting for, these Toast Soldiers? Eggs! Toast soldiers. Because they stand straight up and down like the guards at Buckingham Palace. Holy shit. You've crafted a nightmare scenario. (laughs) I'm going to a bed and breakfast in England and not only have they cut it into five strips, but for some reason they are all freestanding on the table. Like I'm in a Lars von Trier nightmare. Could be four strips. You don't know. Yeah, this sounds like a weird sequel to Suspiria. If Wes Anderson and Wes Craven collabed. This is what their breakfast looks like when the two of them go out. (laughs) So you've heard the nightmare scenario that was making toast happen in the Victorian era. So perhaps it will cheer you to know that the first electric toaster was invented in 1893. Thank God. By Alan McMasters. However, the heating element was brittle and prone to break. 
So a better toaster was made in 1905 by Albert Marsh, where the heating element problem was fixed with an alloy of nickel and chromium known as nichrome. Ew. The first commercially viable toaster was in 1909 from General Electric. And all of these toast bread one side at a time. Oh, okay. I actually have dealt with those pretty heavily. Some of them are pretty enough to deal with only having the toast done one side at a time, honestly. That's the thing. They're beautiful. But the bread must be flipped to toast both sides. You have to insert it twice each time. Still less tedious than the toasting (laughs) fork. True. I was really relieved when you followed up referencing the heating element with tended to break, because I was picturing a much worse scenario. Given, like, this podcast's history with heating elements and what happens to homes afterward. I mean, they also did melt and start fires, but you know. Oh, well, that was a nice time when I didn't think that. (laughs) But a dual-side toaster was invented in 1913. And the pop-up toaster was invented in 1921. That's much sooner than I thought it would be. Now, the working class of the Victorian era are not putting themselves through this nonsense of the middle-class English breakfast. If they're eating toast, they're toasting their own damn bread in the morning. More likely, if they're in an urban environment, they're buying breakfast from street vendors on the way to work. If they're in the countryside, specifically in the north of England, they're eating porridge and not bread. Because oats grow better than wheat up there, so it's cheaper. I see. But they've got one thing the middle class hasn't got. Any kind of work ethic? Donkey tea! I don't like this. Are you too poor to afford tea? Not yet. Just take burnt bread crusts and boiling water and steep for several minutes. Oh, that sounds wretched. Does it taste like tea? Absolutely not. It doesn't taste like anything. It tastes like murky water. Does it vaguely look like tea and is it hot? Yes! Why does it have to look like tea? You could just drink hot water. You gotta trick your brain into thinking you're drinking tea. I don't- but I'd rather not because it's just gonna taste like char. So no donkey tea for D. No thanks, I'll just drink the hot water if I'm that poor. And no toast cut into strips? <laughs> Absolutely not. You know what? Maybe I'm just not as fit to breakfast in England. <laughs> maybe. We should maybe go through some um, exposure therapy before we bring you to England. <laughs> <laughs> Get you to a point where you can interact with English cuisine without flying into a murderous rage. <laughs> that, might be, that might be a good idea, yeah. So this has been the trials and tribulations of Victorian toast. Do you feel edumacated, Dee? I do feel edumacated. Yay. And I really want toast. Sources for this episode include the book Food and Cooking in Victorian England by Andrea Broomfield. It is an absolutely fascinating and invaluable reference piece. And I love it so dearly. I would like to check that out, I think. I will lend it to you. Wonderful. Yes. And also, for supplemental research, Wikipedia. Donate, won't you? Thank you. Please. And thank you to all the listeners who encouraged me to indulge myself and prattle on about Victorian toast. And please, by all means, get him to do other Victorian bits of minutia. Well, I want to hear more about donkey tea, to be completely honest with you. That's pretty much all there is to say about donkey tea. Yeah, I know. But, like, are there other, like, tea fakes? I'm so curious. I mean... Anyway, you've seen that pestering can to do this works, so do it. There is tea as the Swiffer of the Victorian era. I'm sorry? Tea for cleaning. Clean with tea. Why? So you know how Swiffer is wet, and that's why it works better than, say, your broom for dust? Yeah. Before we invent the Swiffer, you take your damp tea leavings, and you scatter them over the floor to keep the dust down, and then you sweep up that. 
Why? Because otherwise you're just sweeping up into the air and breathing it. Yeah, but now you've got the fucking tea leavings on your floor. Well, you sweep those up and they bring the dust with them. Much like a Swiffer brings the dust with it when you swift it over the floor. But the Swiffer is partially absorbent, so you don't just have a fucking damp broom. As are the tea. Ugh, I guess. You're not dumping out cups of tea. You're using spent tea leaves. Still wet. I don't like it. Most of England is wet. I think they were just kind of used to being damp <laughs> at that point. <laughs> it's giving me like a sensory yuck thinking about it. If you would like to suggest other episode topics or just say hello, you can email us directly at antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com, or you can post in our Facebook group, Antiques Freaks Friends, or you can tag us on Tumblr, antiquesfreaks.tumblr.com. If you liked hearing about toast and have maybe you've enjoyed a nice slice of hot toast yourself, consider scrolling on down to wherever you're listening to this and leaving us a review. Thanks for reminding me about toast. I'm, ne- I'm now eating toast, and that is good, and I like it. Thanks, Ken. We also have an Etsy shop at etsy.com slash shop slash antiquesfreaks, soon to be full of haunted clowns. So caught, yeah. Eventually, it's going to be a takeover, I think. For now, we have a wide variety of vintage goods and t-shirts and stickers with the podcast logo on them. If you would like to listen to deleted scenes or our special bonus episode presentation of the Victorian Penny Dreadful Varney the Vampire, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks. Special shout out to our current patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love. And thank you in particular for listening. That's right, you. Au revoir. Goodbye.